Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, Editor-in-Chief of Tax Notes Today International. This week, Shifting Sands. We've seen several unprecedented reforms to international tax policy over the last decade, from BEPS to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act to the two pillars the OECD is currently working on. So how do you manage the constant changes to the tax landscape, and how do you guide your clients through it? Here to talk more about this is EY's Global Vice Chair of Tax, Marna Ricker. Marna, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be with you, Dave. Nice to be here. Uh, Let's start off with, could you tell us about your role and and how long have you been doing it? Yeah, I am. And Marta Ricker, obviously, Global Vice Chair of Tax for EY. I have had a passion for tax for almost 30 years now. I am a lawyer and an accountant and um, have been in this role, just came into the Global Vice Chair of Tax role about a year ago. And um, before that, I was in the Americas Vice Chair of Tax role and I'm an international tax partner by trade and have loved, obviously, getting to know and and learn the tax systems all around the world in that role. Well, clearly, international tax is the best tax. Uh, Well, I'm going to agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into it. And and what I'm really interested in learning from you is about how you have dealt with, like, first off, this last decade of major changes in tax. So what you're doing both internally and what you're doing with clients. And so, so I guess the first sort of piece that's somewhat in the past is the OECD's base erosion and profit shifting project, as well as the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So, so what sort of things have you had to do to deal with, with both of those changes over the years? Yeah, I'd say in many ways, some of that's really unsurprising. I, you know, I look at the economic and geopolitical environment. I obviously look at an unprecedented pandemic, maybe one that hopefully we'll, we'll never experience something like that again. But, you know, on the flip side, I, I think we may. I think the world is a little bit more dynamic and, and unpredictable at, at this point in time. And then, and then you look at technology, right? I'm sure we'll get into technology. I think you probably can't leave a conversation like this and um, and tax without getting into technology. And then I think we ultimately look at talent and and the shortage of talent, not not just obviously in tax, but I think the demographic shift that's happening around the world. So I think you take those three big things that are happening and you look at how that impacts tax and you look at, at obviously the impact on BEPS and TCJI. So I'm not surprised by any of that. Any of that. I think all that ultimately leads to um, a change in tax policy, a modernization of the, the tax code. You know, we're going from bricks and mortar to a digital economy, uh, a uh, obviously globalization of the economy. And and that's what happens with TCJA. And that's what ultimately happens with BEP. So I think that's where we are, sort of unsurprisingly, maybe not expected, but unsurprisingly, I think that's that's why we are right where we are in BEPS and, uh, and TCJA. And, and a decade that has been extraordinary, and I think a decade to come that will be equally um, extraordinary in tax policy and tax change. What do you do when, like, when presented with these these changes? They're out there. You're trying to prepare your clients. What what sort of things do you need to do in order to be ready as these changes are happening? Yeah, I you know I think there's you know a handful of things that companies really need to be ready for. Certainly that we ready ourselves for. So you know I think the first thing is you got to get your data in order, right? I think that's probably the number one thing that we've seen come forward. You've got to have great clean data. And those companies that have gotten ahead on technology and data, gotten it clean, 
are the ones that have, you know, really been able to advise the business most effectively. And so, you know, because the law keeps shifting and changing, if you've got clean data, you're able to model very quickly to these changes, to track them and to model really quickly. And then frankly, to advise the business quite well, because the business isn't standing still. The business is moving forward. You know, it's moving forward in this dynamic environment and, and it has to keep moving forward. So I think those companies that, um, and you know, our, our team will get into our, our tax and finance operate survey, I'm sure. But it, it really shows that those companies that have gotten head on their data strategy, their technology strategy are are the ones that are able to advise the business quite well. So I think that's what you got to do. <laughs> you got to grab a hold of that data, get it, get it in a great format and allow, you know, allow your department to be able to advise the business accordingly. Now, is it different moving from the, the, the BEPS project now where we're dealing with the OECD's Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 projects? Is this a unique challenge or is it basically more of the same? Definitely unique. And so getting a 143 jurisdictions to agree on anything would be very unprecedented. But, you know, I do think that's what's necessary. You know, we're, like I said, we're moving to a digital economy. Um, we've moved to a digital economy, I should say. And now we're really trying to bring forward a tax code that matches that digital economy. And so doing that in a way that is consistent around the world is is no small task. And so I, I do think it's necessary. I do not think it's easy, but I, I do think it's necessary. And so how we get that done, you know, I think is is what's important. You know, taxpayers are also really looking for consistency you know, they're looking to be able to apply the laws in a consistent way, in a way that allows them, again, I'll come back to advising the business. And so so I think that's really what's happening. That is not going to happen in, you know, in one fell swoop. And so I think one of the things I want to make sure that, you know, everybody hears that's listening ultimately to this, Dave, is that I think it's going to unfold and happen over a period of time that, you know, I think it's going to be no less than three years. And I think it could be as many as five or seven you know, because you're first going to go through this process of getting all the rules done. You know, then there will be obviously adjustments for the things that we didn't get exactly right. Uh, you know, ultimately, the governments didn't get exactly right. And then you're going to go through controversy ultimately around it and adjustments will get made. And so it's going to be a window of time. It's going to take us, you know, like I said, I don't think it'll be less than three. Um, I think it probably will be something more like five, five or seven or maybe the full next decade. Yeah, is there going to be a challenge as countries are adopting these things, not necessarily completely in sync of the, the timing differences between the jurisdictions? I think that's absolutely true. If you take a look right now, right, we've got, you know, four countries that have final legislation laid out. We have eight countries that have draft legislation laid out. And then we have 21 countries that have made, you know, an official statement or put publications forward, including obviously what the OECD has put forward in, in their drafts. And so, you know, they're not in sync yet, but we have 143 countries that have said, you know, they're on board for the inclusive framework. So, you know, you see there's a difference in pace already and what countries have put forward. So that's exactly right. Getting 143 to, you know, to have fireworks go off all at the same time, you know, is not where we are even now. So you're going to see that pacing or that you know subsequent nature in which things are going to come forward um, is, isn't going to happen um, you know simultaneously, and so that that is what we're going to see unfold ultimately. Now, the the other side of that is if some countries don't happen to get all of this put together properly, that there's the potential for retaliation. Perhaps digital services taxes come back. Is that something that that you're concerned about? It is. You know, absolutely. I think that's a really serious conversation that needs to take place. It's it's obviously a 
a very complex conversation. I think, you know, sector taxes um, are nothing new, but I think DSTs are obviously far more targeted. Uh, they're more targeted than, you know, airline or construction or oil and gas taxes that we've certainly seen in the past. And I, I think there, it's a really important conversation because, like I said, the digital economy is not just about a particular sector. It's it's going to be all sectors. You know, we get into the Internet of Things and we see it in consumer. We're going to see it in obviously manufacturing. And so I, I think digital is, you know, it's going to impact all sectors. And so it's a really and really important conversation in how our economy, you know, how our advanced world is ultimately moving forward. And so I think it's a really important one. I think it's going to require a lot of conversation, a lot of understanding, and, and I think it needs to take place. And so, you know, we sent a comment letter, EY sent a comment letter in really stressing the elimination of DSTs and, and other similar measures is a core objective of Pillar 1, and that really a full implementation of the country's commitments in this area, from our perspective, is essential. Now, part of this conversation, you you alluded to uh, a survey that EY has performed recently. Uh, could you tell me about that and, and what sort of things you learned? Yeah, absolutely. So um, each year we do a tax and finance operate survey, and it's really to get a good understanding of you know the direction of travel, of what finance and, and tax departments are taking advantage of um, and what they're ultimately struggling with. And so you know, there's some really interesting trends that we see, you know, in that survey. And it's interesting to compare it, frankly, year over year. And so we have almost 2,000 C-suite and uh, director level people participate in the finance, you know, finance and tax area. And so what we found this year, about 95% say that they are likely to co-source their tax and finance activities. That's about a 22% increase since 2020. Again, I think that's really unsurprising with the pace of, you know, first, the pace of legislative change. You know, how do you keep up with that pace globally? Um, again, 160 plus countries, right, changing their legislation. Number two, um, we're certainly finding that the shortage of talent, tax talent in this area um, is really important. And then I mentioned earlier this point about data and how are tax departments spending their time on data and technology. And what we found was 72 percent about people are spending their time on, you know, really routine compliance type things and what they really want to be spending their time on and what need they need to be spending their time on, obviously, is really the tax technical um, advising the business ultimately. And so really what we're finding is the tax departments and and certainly the, the CFOs want them to be spending their time on the high value added. That's what they want to be spending their time on too. And yet they're obviously in this fact pattern where they're spending, you know, 72% are spending their time on routine compliance and data type work. And so that's what they're looking to outsource. They're really focused on, you know, how do we turn that over to experts like E&Y to track all the legislative change globally and to obviously wrangle with the data, get the data into a, into a great format to use platform type technology. We have our global tax platform and to obviously use that data in a really constructive way for modeling and, and advising the business. So that was really what we're seeing as outcomes in that survey. Again, 95 percent, if you think about surveying 2000 people. That means uh, 1,900 are looking to co-source or outsource in some way, and only 100 are not. So that's pretty staggering data. Is there a trend line on that? Have we? Is there a, an earlier survey that that shows that this is this is a growing thing? Yeah. So if you look over the last five years, to your point, I think it's increased almost. I think it was threefold that we saw an increase in that, in, you know, in just five years, a really significant uptick in that co-sourcing piece. So again, I think that's a that's a result of this pace of uh, legislative change. And again, I think a really a pace of data um, and technology being at the heart of what it takes to get the analytics done at this point to advise the business in a, you know, in a really strategic way. 
Now, are you seeing, in addition to these co-sourcing, outsourcing arrangements, are tax departments getting bigger, internal tax departments, or is this entirely a matter of moving it outside the walls of the business? Yeah, I think they're, um, I wouldn't say necessarily bigger, because all of us are under budget constraints, right? I, I don't think anyone's budget's getting bigger these days. And so I think it's more of a reshaping that we're seeing, Dave. And so a reshaping of the department towards things like controversy, things like ESG, things like data and technology. So we're seeing a lot more departments have data and technology experts inside their their department. Um, we're seeing many departments put a, a ESG person in place, and we're seeing people shift uh, more towards having people focus on, obviously, controversy. That's that's certainly rising, too. We have some great stats from our, our tax controversy survey as well, again, seeing a, a significant rise in expectation of an increasing controversy, particularly around BEPS. Um, that was the number one, that transfer pricing and BEPS were the number one areas that people expect to see a rise in controversy as well. Now, when you're discussing these major concepts in international tax, I, I would assume you're oftentimes talking to people who may not be versed in the international world. So how do you communicate what these clients need to be prepared for? Because we live in this, we, we, we've been watching this stuff for a long time, but if, if you're coming to somebody fresh on this, how do you communicate this to them? Yeah, I think, you know, look, I, I think that at the C-suite level, I think, you know, they really understand, I'll call it the macroeconomics um, that are happening at a global level. And so you can certainly tell them that there is, you know, $37 trillion on the world's balance sheet, right? And how that gets paid for typically is via tax policy. And so that they understand, you know, they can understand that macroeconomic landscape. And so that, you know, the funding for that $37 trillion of debt on the world balance sheet typically comes through tax collection. And so then they understand the pace of change and why tax policy is moving and why different legislation is being put into place. And so that's really ultimately what serves you well when you're talking to the C-suite and then obviously putting it in that context. So I think that, you know, that piece they get, they also understand the digital economy. And so when you put BAPS into the context, pillar one, obviously, um, which is all about the taxing rights in a particular jurisdiction for the consumers and the customers that lie, you know, in that jurisdiction. And then pillar two, you know, just explaining that in simple terms, like a minimum tax, right? And so really, you know, a 15% minimum tax is an easy concept for them to grasp. They may or may not like it, right? But certainly explaining that really simply, I think, is, uh, it, you know, is one of the things that we all need to do, as opposed to getting into the tax technical or the board and, and C-suite executives. So and they understand you know, the basic concepts on an effective tax rate. And so it's, you know, basically it's just taxing where, you know, assets, people and, uh, and services sit. So I think keeping it simple is the best way to handle that kind of fact pattern. And I guess the other side of that is, is what concerns are you hearing most from them uh, about the current world? Yeah. Look, I think what they're really focused on, and understandably so, ultimately a board or the C-suite is consistency. You know, they're really trying to understand ultimately, you know, what they've got from a cash perspective and what they have from P&L perspective. And so, you know, I think what they're asking for and, and what they're looking for ultimately from legislators and from governments is consistency. You know, what is the statutory rate going to be? Where is it that they can and and should put their investments? You know, those are they're making really big capital decisions ultimately. Where can they put a plant? And where can they count on, you know, consistency in, in these capital expenditures? And so I think that's what they understandably want to have from legislators and ultimately from different countries. And so they're looking for that certainty. Ultimately, where can they consistently hold and have inconsistent tax rate? Um, and where can they ultimately, you know, count on consistent cash flows? 
So that's ultimately what shareholders expect from them. So I, I think that's fair. And then I think ultimately that's what they're working for. Now, looking ahead a bit, we are coming into a period where the TCJA, a bunch of provisions will be expiring, which that's a big moment to reopen the U.S. tax code. Are you expecting any sort of major changes to, to corporate taxation when that happens? Yeah, well, I won't predict that, um, Dave. Um, I've given up predicting. Um, but I, you know, look, I think 2025 onward is going to be a really, really interesting window of time. So that's what I'm sort of saying. I I don't think we're going to be bored anytime soon when it comes to what the tax landscape is going to look like. And so, uh, you know, I think I would say, like, look, 2025 is going to be a really, really interesting year, certainly here in the U.S., but, I, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting globally as well as, is, like I said, we'll be in the middle of, of likely digesting, you know, still digesting bets as well. And so, you know, I think there's obviously three big provisions, you know, that are expiring, obviously, in TCGA. I think we'll see some previews around that, you know, here um, from the Republicans in Congress. We obviously have R&D expensing. We have 163J and calculation of that. And we have bonus depreciation. We also have the corporate rate as well. That's obviously a lever that you can pull on on where you want the corporate rate to be. And so I think we're going to see a lot going on in that space. And I'd be surprised, frankly, if we don't see some signaling on at least what the Republicans want to do with that, you know, those three big provisions here over the next several months. So I think we'll see signaling um, from a lot of places. You're saying that we will continue to see change for for the foreseeable future. With Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 potentially getting finished up with the TCJA changes happening, is there a way to get back to a sort of tax equilibrium or is that just a dream? Is it just something that will never happen? I'm not going to say it's never going to happen, but I'm not sure it will happen in the rest of my career. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm dating myself, but um, I just think data and technology is going to continue to have a really big impact on tax as well. And just to use a really simple example, I would I'd look to the area of e-invoicing, you know, what's happening on the indirect side and how you know data collection is happening, how in, e-invoicing is moving with pace. I mean, you know, you just only would you know need to look, I think, to like Mexico or look to what's happening in India and that the pace of e-invoicing is, you know, is happening at lightning speed. And so I just think that changes on the horizon and how tax collection will happen and how ultimately tax payment um, will happen. And so so I, you know, I just think it's going to be a really exciting time in tax for, for like I said, a decade, a de- at least a foreseeable decade. So I, I'm not seeing equilibrium soon. <laughs> Be the way I'd say it. Well, into the chaos, let me also ask you about, you know, we, we've had these international rules are being developed at the OECD level. And, uh, you know, to a certain extent, also uh, the EU does its its own thing. Is there a concern that another body might assert itself into the international rulemaking? Uh, I know a lot of people have proposed a UN tax body. Are you concerned that there could be additional, like, competing regimes out there? Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, again, I, I don't want to predict on that. But I, you know, I think at a minimum, close cooperation amongst the countries has to happen, right? I think we we just discussed that. I don't think there's any way you, you know, I'll call it transform the uh, the global tax code, right, without really, really close cooperation. And, I, you know, I think to the extent another body like the UN, as you mentioned, would come into the fold, I think the same thing would be required, right? Really, really close collaboration. So 
I don't yet have, you know, a point of view about that. You know, certainly other venues um, could play a role, um, including the UN. But I think the bottom line is that there must be a real meeting of the minds for, you know, this ambitious of a, of a global reform to work. And so so that's what I'd be looking for. I, you know, I think for ultimately taxpayers, you know, who want to apply the law as it's intended, I think, you know, they certainly are looking for certain inconsistency, as I said. And, you know, and I think they absolutely recognize the need for a shift in, you know, in advancing to a digital economy. So taxpayers and tax administrations, you know, alike are are looking for that. And so, you know, if to the extent another another body were to come forward, I you know, I, I think they'd have to think hard about what that looked like in terms of that collaboration and that consistency. And so, I mean, I don't want to I, I, I certainly wouldn't want to be predicting it, but I, I certainly would be hopeful for that same same collaboration. All right. Well, recognizing your reluctance to predict. <laughs> <laughs> Are you getting my trend? My next question is for you to predict. Now, it, it's it's more of a, is there anything out there that you are watching for on the horizon in international that uh, that's something that we should all keep an eye out for? Yeah, it's a, a great question. Like I said, I, I probably the big thing I've got my eye on when you, you ask me what am I really focused on, it, it really is this disruption on technology um, and probably in particular AI. And so you know, I, I got my eye on e-invoicing in particular. As I said, I, you know, I think that trend is picking up with pace. And I, I think it's really, I think it's in particular interesting to watch um, what I would call the the emerging economies. And so how I think they're really, really smart and really clever in how they're thinking about tax collection. And so, you know, like I said, I would, I would put India and, and like Mexico at the forefront of doing some really interesting work. Um, I think some really smart work at how they've, they've gotten that collection and controversy. So and I, again, I think we'll see that emerge and rise um, in particular. And I, I, you know, frankly, I'm really proud of the work that I think they've done. Um, so, you know, I, I think keep your eye on that trend. Um, my next thing that we're watching really closely is controversy and the way that, that governments are going to come at controversy, because again, they have technology and tools that are, you know, extraordinarily advanced to the way that 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 we, we've come up at in the past. And so certainly we have our eye, you know, very, very focused on on that direction and how that might unfold as well. You know, and then again, I'm I'm an optimist by heart and uh, by mindset. And so, you know, I really I really um, have a strong you know point of view. I have a, I certainly have a wish uh, that we get great policy ultimately on on the transformation to um, you know a digital world that we live in. So I'm hoping for that consistency and that collaboration ultimately uh, from whoever the the players emerge, you know, in the VAX environment and, and pillar one and pillar two. So uh, so th- those would be the things we certainly have have our eye on. And like I said, I think the indirect space is going to be really really interesting, and it seems to be the place that we're picking up on technology the most. So I, I you know we certainly have our eye towards the the indirect space. Now, speaking of technology, and and you you alluded to to AI, my my last question for you is, you know, we we've heard a lot about AI. It's sort of the the big buzzword out there right now. Is this hype, or or is there a role for AI in the tax field? Is is it really going to disrupt the way that people seem to be proposing it as a disruptive technology? There's a huge role, <laughs> and I you know I really I you think about it I mean I, and and I you know I won't I won't presume that you and I are close to the same age, Dave, but um I will I mean you just think about being a staff and being two times more productive, right? I mean I really think that's its power. You when you think about it, you know the cognitive capability and um, you know having the ability to be two times smarter because you have a co-pilot sitting right next to you. I you know I think its capabilities right now are. You know, just being tapped, and so that—that's what I'm really excited about. I certainly am 
doing a lot of exploration myself personally around it. And, you know, we are, you know, we are certainly doing the exact same inside of our own business. So we have lots of use cases running and I'm really excited about the power of its learning. And so controlled data sets, obviously, you know, really simple uses from a tax code perspective. And, um, you know, it, its power is proving to be really extraordinary. So, so again, you have to use it very responsibly. You know, we have lots of obviously policies and, um, you know, very controlled data, controlled settings. And, um, but I'm, I'm really excited about what the outcomes are and what that means for, for our people. I mean, for me personally. And so, so that, that's pretty exciting. Marna, well, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Anytime. I'm, I'm happy to talk tax. Now, coming attractions. Each week we highlight new and interesting commentary in our magazines. Joining me now is Acquisitions and Engagement Editor-in-Chief Paige Jones. Paige, what will you have for us? Thanks, Dave. In Tax Notes Federal, Hale Shepard explores recent developments regarding the IRS treatment of Malta pension plans. Tom Cullinan argues that a statute of limitations should apply to tax shelter promoter penalties. In TaxNet State, Michael Sims questions how the Arizona Court of Appeals concluded that a statute drafted more than 80 years ago intended to impose tax on the sale of software as a service. Billy Hamilton reviews why South Dakota got tangled up in Wayfair. In Tax Notes International, Mindy Hersfeld examines how the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Moore v. United States could affect the U.S. international tax system. Five professors examine the many facets of the UTPR debate. In featured analysis, Robert Goulder weighs in on the efforts to extend the Global Digital Services Tax Moratorium. And finally, on the opinions page, Goulder also urges the United Kingdom not to adopt citizenship-based taxation. That's it for this week. You can follow me online at taxstew, that's S-T-E-W, and be sure to follow at taxnotes for all things tax. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. And as always, if you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating or review wherever you download this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com slash podcast. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening, and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Analyst Inc. does not provide tax advice or tax preparation services. Nothing in the podcast constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice. A full disclaimer is included in the transcript.